Philippians chapter 1. You may go there with me this morning in your copy of God's Word, Philippians chapter 1. Hope you bring your Bibles with you. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the pew rack there in front of you. Please use that. And we'll look together at Philippians 1 and verse 27 this morning. I, I noted last week as we came to this passage that every person who's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ has a high calling. I hope you understand that. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have a high calling as you live here on earth. You are, you are sent by the King of Kings to minister on this earth for God's glory and so that the gospel might spread farther and farther. And with a high calling such as we have, that high calling ought to affect our living. It ought to affect the way we Think about our living. With that high calling in mind, Paul writes to the Philippian believers in this passage we're looking at this morning. And as we noted in Paul's challenge to the Philippian believers here last week, his main concern is that no matter what happens, whether he's able to return to them or not, no matter what, they should be certain that they are remaining faithful they should make certain that they are living in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, as you will see Paul put it in just a moment. And what he is challenging them toward is not do, do, do more. He's saying be more Christ-like in all that you do. Living holy lives. I would suggest that's the charge to us today and always as God's church. Because God is faithful, right? We just sang it. Great is thy faithfulness, we sang. Because God is faithful, we are compelled to be faithful to God, to be obedient to him. And in all that we do, we ought to be exercising our faith to be more and more Christ-like in all that we do for God's glory. And all that we do should be for God's glory. Living holy lives lives that are pleasing and acceptable to God. Let's look again this week at Philippians 1 and verse 27 where Paul writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, we noted last time here that the Greek word translated as this phrase in the text, manner of life, literally means to live as citizens. But not as, you might be thinking first, you might think as model earthly citizens. That's not what he means. Not as model earthly citizens, but as model heavenly citizens just as Paul reminds them later in chapter 3 and verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the, praise the Lord that we have a permanent citizenship. If you're a follower of Christ, if you have repented of sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a permanent citizenship with God in heaven. You are kept eternally secure in Christ. And your citizenship is in heaven. And Paul says, this reminder there in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will return and take us to be with him one day if we don't, if we don't pass away first. If he doesn't call us home in death, one day he will rapture his church home and we look forward to that day. So the believer's real citizenship is where? It's in heaven, right? Don't ever forget that. You are, oddly enough as it seems, you are a stranger and an alien here on earth, okay? And God is shaping you as a heavenly citizen. And and Paul is challenging the believers here to live like citizens of heaven here on earth. In, yeah, and you look around like I do and you say, this is, a, this is a fallen world that we live in. There is sin all around us, right? And you know it because you fight sin in your own life too. But Paul says, here's the charge. Be godly, heavenly citizens. Be Christ-like citizens, good citizens of heaven. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3 that believers are to seek the things that are above, setting their minds on things that are above, putting off the earthly sinful practices of the flesh. We are not to be weighed down by the things of this earth because as heavenly citizens, we have a high calling, right? And that high calling involves the spread of the good news of the gospel of Christ. And so it's clear that what God's word calls believers to is living lives of Christ-like obedience and holiness. Well, we don't talk about holiness very much, do we? Maybe we should talk about holiness more. Because all that, that surrounds us in this world would, would fight against our holiness if we're not careful. Paul knows that this kind of living is just what the believer needs to glorify God and just what the believer needs for them to know the Lord's joy. This is for the believer's joy that we honor God with holy, Christ-like living. Now, if we want to live at peace, if we want to be content in this life as strangers and aliens, citizens of heaven here on earth, if we want to be content here until the Lord returns or calls us home, if we want to know the joy of the Lord, then we're going to need to take note of the instruction that Paul gives all believers here in Philippians 1.27. And I see four marks of a joyful believer's life here in the text. We noted the first two last Sunday. I spared you all four of them because I realized it was going to be more than we had time for last week. So I come back to this. Let me refresh your memory where we were last week with these first two points. First of all, a believer's joy depends on their worthy living. That's number one, worthy living. Look at verse 27 again, Philippians 1.27. A believer's life really should be marked by worthy living. Paul says here in verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, as we noted earlier, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, your citizenship is where? Heaven, right? It's in heaven. And Paul Paul's use of the word that is translated in the, in the phrase manner of life literally means live as citizens, and he is implying that they are to be living as model heavenly citizens living on earth. And so do we understand, and can we agree here with Paul that, that this is the way we're to be living if we're followers of Christ? 
Can, can we see that here? Do we understand that this applies to all those who call themselves Christians today? You know, there are a lot of people in this world who call themselves Christians, but there, but there aren't as many of them who call themselves Christians that are truly believers in Jesus Christ. You need to be careful about that. Sometimes people will say, oh, I'm a Christian. And you'll say, oh, that's great. Tell me, how did you come to know Christ? Or, or that's incredible. Tell me a little bit about the gospel, and you might be surprised what you hear, that it doesn't align with God's word. So be careful, because everybody who says they're Christian doesn't necessarily know the truth and isn't necessarily truly a Christian according to God's word. But those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, repented of their sins, put their faith in Christ, and are God's children because of that, do you, do you see here that this is for us today, that we should be living as heavenly citizens here on earth? Paul uses this as a challenge, and it should be a challenge to us. He's challenging these Philippian believers, and this is in God's word for us today. Don't overlook this because it was written to the Philippian church. This is God's inspired word for the church today. And all who have placed their faith in Christ are called by God to live on earth as model citizens of heaven. Not only are we to believe the right things according to the scriptures, but we are to do the right things. We are to be obedient to God's word. This is the foundation of our faithful witness for Christ. Do you understand that? If we want to be faithful to Christ as we leave this place today and go into the world ahead of us this week, if we're going to be faithful to Christ, we, we not only need to believe things about God's word, the fundamental truths of scriptures, but we also need to take those God-informed convictions about God's word and live them out. We should live in a certain way that honors God. We are to not only believe the right things, but we're to do the right things according to the scriptures. That is the foundation of our faithful witness for Christ. Right beliefs should lead to right conduct. That's God's intention with his word, to inform us, to give us a right perspective of truth. His perspective is right, right? God knows truth. God tells us what truth. He informs us in his word of truth. And that information should shape our living. And we ought to be compelled by God's grace, right? By God's mercy toward us because God is faithful as we sang today. We ought to be compelled by God's faithfulness to be faithful to him. And the word helps helps us along, compelled because we are overwhelmed by God's grace, with the wisdom of God's word, we're compelled to obedience for God's glory and our good. Right beliefs should lead to right conduct. And if we act according to God's word, God will see to it that we know his joy. You see, we won't have to work to be joyful. We won't have to search for the right things to do to consume ourselves with the right hobbies, the right job. We won't even need to look for the right spouse because God will help us see how we're to love the one he gave us, right? We won't have to go look for a new job because we'll realize that God gave me this job to live for him in this work this week and for his glory. If job, if, if a job comes and, and God takes me somewhere else, so be it. But, but for now, this is where God put me and I want to glorify God. And these are the children God gave me. And so I want to glorify God with those 
children. This is the church that God put me in, so I want to glorify God here. This is the neighborhood where I live. Are you catching on? Everywhere we go, this is where God has you. And if we act according to God's word, God will see to it that in in those things as we obey him, we will have his joy. We won't have to go searching for happiness or contentment. God will make sure it finds us if we will honor him with our obedience. Worthy living is what we're talking about. Number two, we noted next the next mark of the joyful believer's life, faithful living, worthy living and faithful living. Verse 27 again, look at it. So that whether I come to see you or am absent, in other words, no matter what, here it is, I may hear of you that you are standing firm. So whether or not Paul is able to to be with them again, He wants to hear from them a good report about their conduct, that they are living faithfully. He wants to hear of them that they are standing firm. And what he means by this is that he wants them to hold fast and stand firm in the truths of God's word. It's one of the reasons that I continually challenge you to read God's word. This is the truth that God has given us, not only to proclaim as a church, but to believe as individual believers and to follow as individual believers and families and as a church. This is God's truth. This is his guide for living for us. This will inform our hearts. This will shape our thinking in in a culture that seems to be going more and more mad all the time toward sinfulness We ought to be shaped by the righteousness of God's word, the righteous instruction that God has given us in his word. And he is so gracious to instruct us. And like never before in our lifetimes, we need to boldly stand firm on the truths of God's word. Take in the truths of God's word. Let them change you and shape your thinking and refuse to be moved from the standard of God's word. You need to remain stand, uh, remain standing firm, faithful living. We should certainly make plain the scriptures to others. We should certainly make clear the scriptures of God's word to others. The point here is not that we're to go around condemning the world. Please don't hear that. Uh, some some in, in, in Christian circles think, These are the fundamental truths of God's word. It's my job to cram it down my neighbor's throats and say, look at what you're doing. That's not in line with God's word. Do you realize that God's word is first for us? You realize that? Do you realize that judgment begins in the house of the Lord first? And if we aren't changed by this, no amount of cajoling your neighbor about God's word is going to help them if they look at your life and don't see that you're being changed by this. See that I'm being changed by this? We need God's word first. This is God's word to his children. We need this. We need to be moved and changed by this. We need to be challenged by this. And the point here is not that we're to go around condemning the world, but the point is is that we are to stand firm on the truths of God's word, conforming our own lives to the truths of God's word in the midst of a shifting culture. The, sh- the culture is shifting and changing. It almost seems like daily. 
if you watch the news and you see things that are going on, even in, in churches in our culture that are departing from the foundational truths of God's word. You need to remain firm. I need to remain firm. This church needs to remain firm. And, and to, to remain firm, not only for God's glory, but for our good. The incredible thing to me is that more often than not, the world knows just what we believe. We don't need to go around cramming what we believe down people's throats, but what we should do is live in obedience to God's word. And as God gives us opportunities to speak to people about Christ, tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't overlook the fact that, yes, there is going to be a day of reckoning when God will hold those accountable who refuse to repent and turn from their sins. Yes, that's the bad news part of the good news. And and unbelievers need to hear that too. So I'm not suggesting we don't tell people the truth about the coming judgment of God if they refuse to turn to Christ in faith. But I'm suggesting that if we take our beliefs and take them to our neighbors and cram them down their throats and we're not willing to live by them, we're wasting our breath. And what we really should be doing is exercising our faith, walking in obedience to God's word no matter what the world around us does getting involved in the lives of our neighbors so that we might have an opportunity to show them the good news of Jesus Christ, not only from our lives lived in obedience to the good news, but also from God's word. And so as citizens of heaven, we're to take personally God's word, take it personally to guide our conduct, not watering down God's word to accommodate the sinful culture, not saying, well, I think we can read God's word this way so that that, that doesn't look like sin anymore. No, we must define sin as God does. We must call sin, sin, and we need to call it sin in our own lives first. Not watering down the truths of God's word to accommodate our sinful culture or our sinful conduct, our own conduct, but remaining faithful no matter what. This is how God intends to use his people as messengers of light in this world in which we live. This is how God intends to use us as his children, as messengers of light in this dark world. And when we stand firm in the truth, conforming our lives to God's word, God gives joy. God will be faithful to give joy. Now let's note the next mark. Note the next mark of the joyful believer's life, which is, this is number three, unified living. Unified living. The believer ought not to have to stand alone. I just said standing firm, right? Faithful living. But we ought not have to stand alone. You might find yourself standing alone at times, but but I'm calling you to be a church that looks around and says, how can I stand more faithfully with my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I encourage them more faithfully so that they might live more faithfully? Unified living. The believer ought not have to stand alone. Paul says, look at verse 27 again, so that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Unified living is what I'm calling that. In one spirit. So not only does Paul want to hear a good report that these believers are standing firm in the truths of God's word, but also that they are of one spirit and one mind standing firm together. And what Paul is saying is that they need to be united in their thoughts, united in their actions. You don't have to have the same thoughts 
as the brothers and sisters in Christ around you, but we do need to be united in the same truths. We're to be believing, obeying the same fundamental truths of God's word in one spirit, with one mind, worthy of the gospel of Christ, says Paul. And that is, of course, with the mind of Christ. If you will take in God's word, it's why, it's why every time we come together to, to worship around the word of God, we open the word and we say, this is God's word. This is what God's word says. And this is how it applies to us. This is how we ought to be living. We do that with God's word. I don't bring a magazine. I don't bring a newspaper. I bring God's word, right? Because this is God's instruction for us. And this is the mind of Christ for us. And if we will take it in, he will be faithful to give us wisdom. He will be faithful to shape our living and our thinking. And and their purpose in Paul's day, as he wrote to the Philippian believers, their purpose was, and our purpose as a church is, just like we have the, the little four words saying on the wall there when you leave this morning, you look up to the right, it says, loving God, loving people, just the same. Was their purpose then and our purpose today that we're to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're to love others like we already love ourselves. That's what that means when it says love love others as yourselves. When God's word says that, it's like we are you already love yourself. Take the love that you love yourself with and, and now love others, okay? That's the challenge for us. That's our purpose. That was their purpose. Love God with everything you have. And from that should flow your love for people, for the sake of the gospel, that others might know the good news and be saved. Right? That's our purpose as believers. That's our purpose as a church. And as Paul says here, worthy of the gospel of Christ for the faith of the gospel. We ought to live in such a way on earth that as heavenly citizens, our lives are shaped and transformed by the good news and for the good news so that our lives speak for Christ and our conduct speaks for Christ and our speech speaks for Christ and the gospel. That's a reminder that our unified living is based on the truths of the gospel. We ought to be united around the good news. We ought to be serving together for the good news of the gospel based on the truth of the gospel. We exist as a church. We exist as believers for the purpose of glorifying God as we spread the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on the cross to save sinners. That's the gospel. You put your faith in him you believe in Jesus, you repent of your sin, you say to, to the Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner, I repent of my sin, I believe in Jesus that he died for me to save me from my sins. That's faith in Christ. That's the gospel. Maybe this is a really good time for me to say, if you've never done that, you should. You should have faith in Christ now. Maybe the Lord is tugging on your heart even now. If you don't know Christ if you've never put your faith in Christ, if you've never repented of your sin, I would encourage you to do that right now. Maybe you have questions about that. I would love to talk to you about it. You can speak to me after the service. You can call me. I would love to talk to you about that. We have deacons. Their names are listed on the front of the, the program. You could speak to them. There, there, you may have a friend here that you 
speak to that they could point you to the truths of the scriptures. Don't wait. Do not wait. That's the gospel. That's the good news that we're to live as Christians. And if you're in with us this morning, you've never trusted Christ, you should before it's too late because there will be a day of reckoning when God will, will say to you, uh, I never knew you. You may be in our midst today and here in church because you, you wanted to be encouraged and I, and I trust you are encouraged, but what you really need is the good news. You need to believe in Christ to take this good news and put it to work in your life. We exist as a church and as believers for that purpose, to glorify God with our lives, to tell others of Jesus. And if we're going to honor Christ as believers and as a church, then we need to be united as a body of believers. And I praise God for the unity that I see. But we've got room for improvement. Until the Lord comes, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to need to keep improving because we're still living in the flesh, aren't we? And we still have these disagreements and clashes and things that rub us the wrong way about other people. And we're going to need to be working together so that we are unified together. Unified living is what God is calling us to from this text. Each of our lives should be taking on the shape of God's word. And if that's true of us, then we will be living unified lives as believers. We ought not have to stand alone. We ought to be able to look around and see our brothers and sisters in Christ are with us. And we ought to be those people who are with others, who are lovers of Christ and and obedient to Christ, that we might encourage each other. And that is critical since we have an important mission and we can't afford to let disharmony break our ranks. The devil would love that. The devil would love for us to be scattered and have our ranks broken and be discouraged because we can't get along. The devil would love that, but that is not Christ's desire for us. If we don't believe the same truths from God's word, there will be no unity. So we must base our understanding of the word of God on the, on the fundamental truths of the scriptures and come together united that we might be living unified as believers. If we don't believe those same truths from God's word, there will be no unity. But where there is unity, God is glorified and believers are joyful. God will see to it. Now the next mark of the joyful believer's life is closely related to that, closely related to our unified living as model heavenly citizens. We need to be living as co-laborers for Christ. And when we believe the same things, when we believe the good news of Jesus Christ together, when we believe God's word together, and we come together like we are now to hear the truths of God's word proclaimed, And we come to agree about those truths together, to to serve together, to stand together, to be unified in our living together. When we believe those same truths, building our lives on the foundation of God's word, we can now work together. When we believe those things, they unite us so that we can now work together for God's glory, as Paul says. Verse 27 again, with one mind, striving. That's work. (laughs) right? Striving. That's work. It sounds like there's some effort and there's some sweat there, right? With one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Note that important phrase, side by side. It doesn't say face to face like we're in a contest against each other. We are striving together. 
The Greek word that is translated striving side by side is actually a compound word which means competing together. We are on the same team, in other words. So we're not in a competition against each other as believers, but we are all on the same team working together for a common goal. That's why we need to be grounded in and believe the same truths. Together, we need to believe God's word. I trust that's why you come to our worship services, because together we're going to hear the truths of scriptures. And together, even though God put this character here, who doesn't always say everything right, if you're his follower, he's given you his spirit to take his word and to help you understand it, even when I mess it up. And God is gracious that way. So I trust that when you come together, we come together knowing that God is going to help us understand his word together. That we might be living as co-laborers for Christ. And the necessity for unity in the church is seen throughout God's word. It is not something that God takes lightly. We must be unified if we're going to be honoring God as a church and honoring God as individual believers and serving him faithfully. The necessity for unity is important. It's one example, as we see in Galatians 5.13, which shows us that unity thrives through serving one another. There's, there's a cue to how we ought to serve and, and serve together, side by side, striving side by side. How do we do that? Well, one way is by serving one another. It's a reminder that we're not in a contest against one another. We're, we're competing with one another. Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't be selfish, but through love serve one another. And whenever I think about that, through love, through whose love? Through the love of Christ. For what Christ has done for us, that ought to be our example. With the way that Christ loved us, that's how we're supposed to love each other, who gave himself to be a sacrifice who came to to serve and not be served. And we should make it our practice to serve one another through love, by the love of Christ at work in us. And if we will obey God in this, we will know firsthand the sweetness of harmonious, unified relationships in the body of Christ, and we will know true joy. Will our problems disappear? No. But we will learn to work through them together for God's glory, and for our joy. Each one of us is vitally important to the team effort. We are a team. We are a church. We are the body of Christ. That's why Paul emphasizes striving side by side. We can see it also in a passage like 1 Corinthians 12, which uses the human body as an illustration of this truth, comparing the body to the church, the body of Christ, saying this. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. I mean, we just look at our hands, right? We see many members here, and we like having them. Some of us you shake hands with some a couple of the guys around here, and you know they've lost a couple of digits, right? And and you're thankful that you still have yours, and and you're, you're thankful you have your limbs. And when somebody you see someone who who is who is struggling because they don't have all their limbs, you realize not all their members are present, and it makes life a little bit harder. God uses that picture to to say that's the church. 
For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. He's talking about the church. Think about it. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 22, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. In other words, you might think you're dispensable. You might think, oh, I don't contribute much. But you are indispensable in God's economy. And God's placing you in the body of Christ. He has a place for you. Verse 24, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Striving side by side as members of one body of Christ. That's our calling. That's our calling as Christians. That our, That's our calling as a church. And this is for our joy. Do you understand that? You will not know joy... You will not know complete joy. God will not give you the, the grace and mercy of his fulfilled joy in you if you are, if you are striving for something other than unity in the church. If you're striving to have your own way, if you're striving to, to get recognition, if you're striving to, to rise to some place of authority, God says, no. Look around. Strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so Paul says, I hope to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's so that we might communicate clearly to the world, the world that we live in, the incredible power of the good news of Lord Jesus Christ at work in those who have faith. This should be true of us. And if it is, we'll bring great glory and honor to the Lord, and the Lord will see to it that we know true joy. Praise God. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the good news to proclaim But not only do we have the good news to proclaim, but because of the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ crucified for sinners, we have the gospel to help change our lives as we've placed our faith in Christ and as you've given those who've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ your spirit to indwell them. You have empowered us to live in obedience to your word so that we might not only have knowledge but that we might also have understanding and that we might not only have understanding but that we might also know obedience and that there might not only be obedience but there would be joy that you give to those who are faithful to you lord help us to not strive for joy but help us to strive for unity help us to to work for faithfulness because you've been so faithful to us Help us to honor and glorify you as your church, not only as we gather together for our times of worship and fellowship, but help us to glorify you as your church as we leave this place, 
refreshed, challenged, and encouraged by the word of truth. And we go into this world that often is very obviously a dark place that needs the light of truth, the good news of Jesus Christ, put on display in the lives of your children. And so, Lord, help us to live in obedience and help us to know your joy so it's apparent to others that we have the good news of Jesus Christ at work in us and that you might give us opportunities to tell others about Jesus Christ so that they too might know forgiveness of sins, so that they too might know your joy. Father, we pray for your help in this. We pray that you would take us from this place refreshed and and renewed and encouraged and invigorated to walk with Christ faithfully this week for your glory and our good. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.